This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. The great pleasure to be here before you all this morning. Um, the title of my lesson is Promises. And to kick off this lesson, I'd like to tell you all a quick story. So a friend tells of overhearing two little girls, two playmates, who were counting their pennies. One said, I have five pennies, and the other one said, I have ten. The, other, the one with five pennies said, no, you only have five. And the second girl replies quickly, like, no, I have ten. She said, my father said when he came home tonight, he would give me five cents, so I have ten cents. The child's faith gave her proof of that which she did not yet see, and she counted it as being already hers because it had been already promised by her father. Today, I want to talk about promises, because like this little girl, we have all been given promises from our Heavenly Father as well. And I believe there's a lot of confusion out in the world about what God has promised us. And that's thanks to all these false teachers who are out here telling us that you can live your best life now. So this morning, I'd like to go over some facts of the promises of God things we aren't promised, and the two different kinds of promises we are giving throughout the scriptures. First off, let's start off with the facts of God's promises. God's promises are sure and true. The Bible says in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. <clears throat> now, there are several reasons we don't keep our promises as man. We have a change of plan. The, the promise we made doesn't go with, the, with our... The promise we originally made didn't really work out with the plans we had in mind. Or sometimes we just forget. We all live very busy lives with work, school, kids, uh, our parents, our spouses, whosoever. And sometimes we just forget because they want our divine attention. Sometimes we're incapable. Occasionally we bite off more than we can chew, and resulting in us not even trying to keep our promise. Oftentimes, we just lack a sense of principle. Not everyone was raised the same way. Some, pe some people weren't raised with the same moral compass as others. As sad as it is to say, some people were raised up to lie, steal, and cheat their way through life. Uh, but this is us, as man in a nutshell. This is not God. When God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. You see, for God will not delay past the time He has appointed for His promise, because God's promises are unfailing. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, the Bible says, Blessed be the Lord that had given us rest unto His people Israel, according to all that He promised. There hath not failed one word of all His good promise, which He promised by the hand of Moses, His servant. How amazing is that to hear? God said and will not fail to fulfill His promise. What God says, He will do. Simply put, a quote I found online by an author named Robin Sharma, he was quoted saying this, We live in a world of broken promises. We live in a time when people will treat their words lightly. We tell a friend we will call her next week for lunch, knowing full well we do not have the time to do so. We promise a coworker we will bring in that new book we love so much, knowing full well we never lend out our books. We pro we, and we promise ourselves that this will be the year 
that we get back into shape, we simplify our lives and have more fun without any real intentions of making deep life changes necessary to achieve these goals. Saying things we don't really mean becomes a habit. When we practice it long enough, the real problem is that when you don't keep your word, you lose credibility. When you lose credibility, you break the bonds of trust, and breaking the bonds of trust ultimately leads to a string of broken relationships. But where our friends or our parents or even ourselves fail to keep our promises, God will keep every word of his promise because they are all grounded upon Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. When Paul here says him, he is talking about Christ. For all the promises of God in Christ are yea, and in Christ, amen. You see, Christ doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and always. Unlike us, we'll make three different promises, each contradicting the last one. Yesterday we made one promise, today we'll make another promise that completely opposes yesterday's promise, and tomorrow we'll make another promise that completely goes against the last two promises. Hopefully that made sense and I didn't lose you all. But, um, but Christ God, when he makes a promise, it's amen. That is it. So be it. For he is able to fulfill. The Bible says in Romans 4.21, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he is also he was also able to perform. Oftentimes we make certain promises without thinking, not knowing if we have the ability to actually go through with them. But God has the ability to fulfill all of his promises. God also promises faithfulness. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. God is faithful in what he has promised. We must hold fast and, or hold tight to that faith. If God is faithful to his promises, we should be faithful to God that he'll keep his promises. We cannot waver. We cannot be double-minded. We can't remain as children being tossed to and fro, as the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Think of a ship out at sea. A sailor cannot go out to sea and promise to himself that he'll have smooth waters and clear skies. The sailor goes out knowing full well there's going to be storms. We also can't be carried away by every wind of doctrine. While out at sea, there is going to be great gusts of winds powerful enough to knock you off course. This same, the same goes with life. We're going to have our storms. We're going to be hit by a great gust of wind. But we must be rooted and grounded in truth, mature in our faith and our knowledge, and steadfast in the faith, whatever storms may come. We can't be carried away by every wind of doctrine, which ultimately brings us to, the, to my next point, what God hasn't promised us. Unfortunately, many people have been carried away by false doctrines and all by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness and their cunning craftiness. These false teachers have said that God has promised us things that God has not. So thanks to all these teachers that teach on the prosperity gospel and all their false doctrines and all that, people will continue to believe that God has promised us things that he has never promised us. For instance, God has not promised us a life without difficulty. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 
3.12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We are not promised a life without ridicule and mockery. Contrary to what any of these false teachers might say, that you, they, they might say that you can live your best life now. But if we live a godly life, we will suffer trials, tribulation, and even persecution, as we just read. I also want you to take into con consideration who is re uh, writing this letter, and that is Paul. I mean, it's fair to say that Paul is a very godly man. And Paul didn't live this glamorous life like some of these teachers are out here living with their multi-million dollar houses, their cars, and all their private jets and all that stuff. But I ask you this, if we are promised a, a life without trials and difficulties, why did Paul, and why did the apostles suffer? Peter even goes on to tell us that the trying of our faith is greater than gold. In 1 Peter 1.7, the Bible says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When our faith gets tried, we gain that much more experience. We come out that much better in the end. Think of how a diamond is made. A diamond is formed when the graphite is met with high pressure and high heat. This piece of graphite needs that high pressure and high heat to come out this beautiful diamond that we can all praise and enjoy. The same is for the Christian. When our faith gets tried, Jesus will look, up, look upon us and, be, and will praise us and honor us. As, as, as we just saw with the beautiful diamond, Jesus will see our true faith the same way. We are also not promised a life without enemies. Jesus stated this many times, that we would have enemies. The Bible says in Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12, Blessed, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they, blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Just because we do, the, just because we do what's good, or try to do what's good, Someone is going to hate you for it. So whatever you do, do the right thing and let them hate you for the right reasons. God also did not promise he will save everyone, especially, especially those who are disobedient. In Matthew 7, verse 21, the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Only those who do the will of the Father will be saved. Those who are obedient will be the ones to receive eternal salvation. Actually, God promised the opposite to those who don't obey. The Bible says they'll receive eternal destruction. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9, the Bible says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. If you have not obeyed the gospel, don't put it off any longer. That's another thing we're not promised, and that's tomorrow. The Bible says in James 4, verse 13 to 15, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. 
Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this and do that. There's also a beautiful hymn in our books called, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. Uh, the first stanza goes like this. I don't know about tomorrow, I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said, and today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. If we, are, if we were promised tomorrow, I ask you this, why study today? Why visit the sick, the poor, the needy today? In all honesty, why surrender to Jesus today when we can just do it tomorrow and I can just live in my sin another day? We are not promised tomorrow, and that is why we should take action today. The scripture reminds us of this as well in Proverbs 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Jesus even said this, talking about his second coming, in Matthew 24, verse 43. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. If the man would have known what was going to happen tomorrow, don't you think he would have prepared and been ready and not been caught flat-footed? The same goes for us. If we knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, wouldn't we all be getting ready today? But we don't know and we won't know when he comes back, which is why we should be ready. Which is what Jesus said in the following verse, verse 44. Therefore be ye, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Don't put off tomorrow what can be done today, especially our salvation, because we are not promised another chance after death. Once we die, that is it. It's a wrap. Whatever we did in this body, in this life, that's what we're going to be judged by. The Bible says in John 5, verse 28 to 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They, have, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. After death, there is not another chance. You either did good and were righteous and will be resurrected unto the resurrection of life, or you did evil and will be resurrected unto the resurrection of damnation. You only have one lifetime to choose the righteous life or the evil life. Jesus told us this in a told, told us of a parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. In the parable, these two men die, and Lazarus goes off to be with Abraham in a place of comfort, and the, poor, uh, and the rich man goes off into a place of torment. While the rich man was off in this place of torment, he saw Lazarus and Abraham out there in the place of comfort and begins to cry out to Abraham. And we'll pick up our reading in Luke 16, verse 24 to 26. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they, so that they which pat would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us which would come from thence. Abraham told them, I can't do anything for you. There is a great gulf fixed between us. And plus, Lazarus can't go to you, and 
you definitely can't come to us. Once we die, that is it. So now we learn some things about the characteristics of God's promises and some of the things we, he hasn't promised us. Now let us look at what God has promised us. There are two kinds of promises given throughout the scriptures. There's unconditional and conditional. The conditional ones means that we need, meaning a requirement is, must be met in order to be fulfilled, or we have to do something in order to receive said promise. And unconditional promises are those that nothing have to be done by us. We just automatically receive those promises, and God has given us both. First, let's look at the unconditional promises, the promises that require nothing of us, and these promises have been given to everyone, man, woman, believer, or unbeliever. We shall receive these promises from God no matter what. God has promised us to never destroy the world, the earth, with a great flood. The Bible says in Genesis 9, verse 8 through 17, And God spoke unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark, to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a token of my covenant, which I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generations, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy the flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is my covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. This is a promise we're always going to have, that everyone's going to have, until the end of this present world. Every time you see that rainbow, know that that is God's promise to never destroy this earth with a great flood. The promise of Christ's return is also unconditional. The Bible says in Matthew 25, 31-34, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. The Bible tells us Jesus is coming back, and there's nothing we can do about it. It's unconditional. It's happening whether we want it or not, which is a good thing for us, but not so good for those that are not in the kingdom of God or, and still stuck in their sins. This is not, so we know Jesus is coming back, but when, no one knows, no one except the Father. And when he comes back, he'll come to sit on his throne and to rule over us and judge us, and that's another promise. We're all going to be judged in the end. The Bible says in John 5, verse 28 to 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. 
in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. And what happens at the resurrection is up to us. For the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now these are promises we can all be a part of, that we all are a part of without having to do anything about it. Which brings us to the conditional promises. These are the promises we can be a part of, promises we can obtain if and only if we obey God's command. And we'll see that throughout the next several verses. The forgiveness of our sins is a conditional promise. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7-9, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John made it simple for us. If you want the promise of your sins cleansed and forgiven, walk in the light. Confess your sins. But if you don't, that's simple as well. Don't walk in the light. Don't confess your sins. The promise of the forgiveness of your sins is completely up to you. As with having peace with God. We can have peace with God if we've been justified. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been justified by your faith, the Bible tells us we'll have peace with God. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be at ends with God. I mean, the Old Testament shows us what that looks like, what the wrath of God looks like. We also have the promise of the crown of life, if we endure faithfully. The crown of life, the crown that everyone is striving to obtain one day, is a promise to those who will endure faithfully until the end. Revelations 2.10 says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now this verse isn't written directly to us, but it's definitely written for us. Jesus also, during his ministry on earth, told us of some promises we can partake of. Jesus promised us happiness. In Matthew 5, 10 through 12, the Bible said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This obviously isn't the same type of happiness that you see out in the world. For the world's happiness is found in the things of the world. But Jesus is saying, if you're being mocked, being ridiculed, being threatened, jump for joy, be happy. Jesus here is talking about spiritual happiness. For no one likes being ridiculed and mocked. I mean, how many here can honestly say they like being mocked and ridiculed? But Jesus says, count it for joy, because your reward in heaven is going to be great. Jesus also said, our needs will be met if we seek the kingdom of God first. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the, these things shall be added unto you. 
Now, in the previous verses, Jesus talks about worrying about tomorrow, about tomorrow, how our needs were going to be met, how our food, our clothes, our drink, and all that. But Jesus reassures us that if God provides foods for the bird, for they sow not, they don't, they don't work for their food, they don't store up their food, then ask, are we not better than they? But Jesus knows that we are better than the birds and than any other creature, for, God, for Jesus was there when we were created. And Jesus knows that we were created uniquely. God made us different than any other creature. He, he formed us from the dust of the ground and breath, and gave us the breath of life into us, something he didn't do for any other creature. Jesus also promised us rest. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has promised our weary souls sweet rest. If and only if we come to Jesus. So if, if we go unto Jesus, we're righteous. But if we don't go to Jesus, we're sinners and we have not been cleansed by the Jesus' blood. And the Bible tells us those outside of Jesus will not have rest, will not be, they will be wicked. Isaiah fifty-seven twenty-one: There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. The only way to obtain the rest, this rest that Jesus was talking about, is to be in Jesus to, and to be in Christ. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. Brothers and sisters, the only way to partake of these promises that God has given us, these wonderful, beautiful promises, is to be in Jesus and his kingdom, which is his body, which is his church. So the next question should be, how do I get into this kingdom? And Jesus answers this question for us in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, this went right over Nicodemus's head because Nicodemus was thinking in the literal sense and then asked Jesus, in verse 4, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Then Jesus gives him the answer, plain and simple. He, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We must be born again in order to be in God's kingdom. And, and to partake of all these wonderful promises that God has given us. So if we're in a kingdom, let us rejoice and be glad, exceedingly glad, as Jesus says, for this. But if you're not in a kingdom, unfortunately, the only promises you'll be able to obtain are the ones that are unconditional, the promises that we all have. And we read how that turns out for those that are outside the body. They will be in eternal destruction. So if you would like to partake in these wonderful blessings, the promises of God, that he has given us. I invite you this day to be a part of it. Or if anyone needs the prayers from the church, why don't you come to the front row as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, 
send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.